Welcome to the Feel Strong Fitness Podcast, fitness, nutrition, and lifestyle programs created for your goals and your reality. No magic pills, no judgments, and no time to waste. Let's get into it. Thank you so much for tuning into the Feel Strong Fitness Podcast. This is Justin McClintock, and you have found episode 43, Training for Sport, Aesthetics, and Health and Longevity, also known as Wellness. We want to talk about the differences of these, the differences of what this training looks like, in an attempt, potentially, to help you define what it is you're doing versus what it is you want to do, or maybe what it is you should be doing. So let's dig into it. Training for sport, training for aesthetics, and training for wellness. What do these mean? First of all, training for sport, we are talking about training for a specific sport, sport specific, whether it's professional or amateur. So this is high level professionals, amateur, we absolutely include Olympians, college athletes, anyone who's not being paid for it, Obviously, college athletes and Olympians should be being paid. Sadly, that's beyond our scope right now. But we are talking about specific sports. Football, baseball, basketball, golf, all of the field sports. Certainly, uh, Olympic sports, Olympic weightlifting, powerlifting, CrossFit, all of this stuff. If you're training for a sport, you are training for the competition. Competition beats everything. You are training to win the competition end of story. That's what matters. This involves an enormous amount of sacrifice. And you will sacrifice things like aesthetics. Most sport-specific training will not lead to beautiful, awesome, aesthetic goals. Some do, but most don't. Certainly, there's a lot of very good-looking CrossFit athletes out there. There's also some very high-performing CrossFit athletes who may not have sort of the classic super gym-goer aesthetic physique, but they're really high-performing because they train to be high-performing, not because they train for that aesthetic. And certainly, there are lots of strong people, football players, basketball players, lots of people in sports-specific training who do not necessarily look like they are training for aesthetics because they are not. They are training for performances. Also sacrifices this comes with, social life. Massive social life sacrifices. Generally, this involves saying no to a lot of parties, a lot of going out, a lot of eating out, a lot of imbibing, any sort of intoxication, basically, depending on what level you're working at. It involves saying no to lots of stuff. It also involves things like loss of mobility. What? But these are professional athletes. Professional athletes are typically training for their sport specific. They need mobility in certain ranges. They may not need mobility in other ranges. Mobility in other ranges may actually work against them for their specific sport. There is a huge thing, and it goes back and forth. There's some sort of old school knowledge, a lot of which is being trained out right now, fortunately. But there's a lot of older college strength coaches who would not let people stretch, who would not let people get super flexible, who would not let them take yoga and things like that. Because the idea was you wanted the athlete to be super tight in certain positions. And there is some wisdom to this. There is certainly, if I have a football player in season, 
and they don't typically stretch, do yoga, things like that, under no circumstances, and I'm, am I going to put them through a 30-minute yoga session and then send them out onto the field to do change of direction drills? That person is going to pop a hamstring or hurt a hip flexor or something because they're not used to that range of motion. They're not strong there. We're opening up new range. New range is weak range. No good. So professional athletes and high-end amateur athletes may well not have a bunch of mobility, which maybe they want. They may move a little awkwardly. Some things may not feel very good. This is one of the sacrifices that they make. Injury is also a sacrifice. Injury comes with competition. Injury comes with sport. That's just part of it. People who compete, people who train to compete for specific sports are hurt all the time. They don't feel good all the time. They're in a little bit of pain a lot of the time. That's one of the things that comes with high-level competition. I'm not glorifying it. I'm not saying it's good. It's not great. It is a sacrifice they're making. They're literally sacrificing wellness for sport. And I'm not saying this is good or bad. That's just what it takes to compete at that level to train like that. So life changes. We're also talking about lifestyle changes. I already talked about giving up social things. Sometimes this involves moving cities to be closer to a coach or a training facility. Sometimes it involves saying no to certain jobs. Sometimes it involves really changing careers or adjusting things that you would otherwise pursue to focus on the sport. The more competitive you are, and certainly high-end amateurs and certainly professional athletes, what they are doing is being an athlete, everything else comes second. It can be a life destroyer. That's what high-end competition is. You will also have to put a massive priority on recovery. These people will typically get body work on a very regular basis, often several kinds of body work. They will, their recovery routine tends to be very involved. You will look at it and say, well, this is too much. No one needs a massage and an ice bath and then Epsom salt later and uh, also a massage gun and three different kinds of fish oil and and is it all working? Maybe, maybe not. But they've found something that works for them. And the entire idea is to let them recover so they can train the next day. And the entire reason they train the next day is that so when it comes to competition, they can compete at their highest level possible. Sport-specific training is a whole lifestyle. And frankly, I find it incredibly impressive for the amount of sacrifice it takes. Certainly the performance is impressive. That's what we all see. The highlight reel is the highlight reel for a reason, but knowing what it takes someone to get to that, I find jaw-droppingly impressive. It takes my breath away what people will do for months and years upon years to get to a certain moment on a certain day and really excel at their sport. It's incredible. Breaking the sport-specific training down a little bit more, Typically, preseason training and prep is entirely focused on competition. So all of that training is built around doing the thing, playing the sport. If you're a basketball player, most of the time you have a ball in your hands. You may be doing some strength training. You may be doing some uh, plyometric drills, things like that. But it's all built around making the competition better, building up, building up, building up, building up. Certainly, if you're a weightlifter, you're doing a lot of heavy weights, et cetera, et cetera. But it's very, very sport specific. In-season training, depending on the sport, will either be focused on continuing to build to this competition 
or focusing on maintenance and injury prevention. And it partly depends on the length and uh, intensity of the season. If you have a baseball player who's playing 182 games versus a very competitive CrossFitter who's hoping to get to a sanctional, that CrossFitter is going to do three CrossFit open workouts to the best of their ability this year. They've actually already done it by the time this episode comes out. Three CrossFit open workouts versus 182 baseball games over seven months, maybe more. So a very different season. The baseball player is trying to stay strong, keep their skill level up, and not get hurt. The CrossFitter is building to these three intense weeks, and then will potentially have some time off, or will have to regroup and go on to the next competition. So it's a balance of wear and tear. This is why football players only play one game a week. Occasionally, if you talk to someone who doesn't know a ton about sports, they'll ask, you know, why are baseball players playing five games a week and football players play one game a week? It's because in one of them, they get beat, the tar beaten out of them all game long, and the other one is significantly less physically stressful. It just is. Typically, a baseball player will not make contact with another baseball player. They may not even make contact with the baseball the entire game. That's just the way it works. If you're in left field, you might stand there the whole time. That's life. As opposed to a football player who's getting smashed and banged up and needs the week at least to recover. So wear and tear very different. In-season training is going to be super sports-specific. Not in-season training. Ideally should look like off-season training. I am a huge fan of sports-specific athletes having an off-season, having something that's different, having something that's a little less intense. This is a time to shore up imbalances. This is a time to move in different ways, to move in different directions, to do things deliberately not related to your sport, to do things deliberately not like the exact same motion, the exact same movements you've been doing for in-season training. We want to provide for physical recovery, Yes, we also want to provide for neurological and mental recovery and rebuilding. Especially if you are someone who, if you're a weightlifter who stands on a platform and just moves in the sagittal plane up and down and up and down, you clean and snatch and clean and snatch and jerk and jerk and snatch and clean, I really will put some rotation and lateral movement and some dynamicism in a different dynamicism in different ways into your life. We will be doing a lot of single leg work, a lot of single arm work, a lot of balance, a lot of core. You might be doing some cardio, gasp, what? Building up that endurance. Super important. If you are a competitive athlete and you don't have an off season, you should look around for an off season. If you are someone who is training and parents, I know I have some parents listening out there. If you have a kid who's doing a sport and you think your kid is cool at sport and you have them doing soccer and then they're doing winter league and then they're doing spring and then you have them in summer league too, stop it. You're breaking them. Not only are they going to hate the sport by the time they're 16, but lots and lots of studies show that you are building them up for significant injury later on. They are going to be a worse athlete by the time they're 25 than most other people when they're 25. Multiple sport athletes win. I'm not saying that they have to take the summer off and play Xbox all day. But if they play soccer in the springtime, have them do something that is completely different in the summertime. Put them on the swim team. Watch how they thrive. Watch how their endurance goes up. I mean, soccer players have great endurance. But their knees will feel better. Their hips will feel better. They'll get less injured. They'll be stronger. Don't do single sport all year long with anyone, but especially with kids. So, 
off-season training, very different than on, uh, especially for my amateur competitor athletes out there, look around for an off-season. So that's sport-specific training. Pretty specific, fairly intense. What if we're training for aesthetics? And what do we mean here? Because I want to separate this. Most people, I work full-time at a gym, most people who show up to the gym are there partly or mostly to do with aesthetics. Probably 90% plus, if they're honest, at least in their top three, something about how they look is the reason they're there. And that's totally reasonable. These are not the people I'm talking about. I'm talking about people training for only for body composition. This certainly means bodybuilders, physique, bikini, people who are competing on stage, walking on stage to be judged how they look. Absolutely. And that is a big part of the aesthetic training crew, but also people who are doing it because this is at least some part of how they make their living. Actors and models are generally training for aesthetic only. They're, part of their job is to look really good on camera. They're here to look really good on camera and they have really specific goals. I have a friend of mine who's an incredible Broadway actress, and she changed her training routine about eight years ago. She loved what she was doing, but her neck was getting a little bit thick. And the nature of what she was doing and the way she was appearing on camera and on stage and some of the roles she was going for, that was going to be unacceptable. She liked the change in herself, but professionally, it was unacceptable. And we can have a whole talk about what that means, about why it should be acceptable and why people should revel in these strong bodies and things like that. But the reality is, as a working actress, and this is how she makes her living. She's brilliant. I didn't talk to her, so I'm not going to drop any names. But the reality is that you have to have look a certain way. You're expected to fit into certain costumes. You're expected to hit certain measurements. And that sucks, but it's true. And if someone comes to you with these goals, I think it's important to respect those goals. You can dig into what it is health-wise, and we're going to do that in a moment. But the goals are the goals. Now, what does that training look like? It is super specific and it is not always fun. Certainly if we're building muscle slash toning slash chaining body composition, usually it's fairly high rep. We're talking about generally hypertrophy stuff. It's really specific and it's really boring. You're going to do the same thing every week for at least six, seven, eight weeks with teeny tiny changes in percentage teeny tiny changes in time under tension and ideally we're going to keep doing it until we feel like we're not getting the changes we want anymore and then we will slightly change up the exercise regimen once we know what we're going for it is really specific and it is a grind it is also very time consuming we are typically talking about hours and hours in the gym it's really hard often relatively boring training it's intense it can be difficult. It's not always super heavy, but it's very intense, you know, working at 10 rep maxes, 12 rep maxes, things like that for many, many sets. Recovery is also huge. It's a huge amount of recovery to be able to come back the next day and do more work at 10 rep maxes and 12 rep maxes. It's a huge priority on recovery, not unlike a sport-specific athlete. This is like the sport of looking good, the sport of changing how you look, the sport of building muscle, shaping muscle, losing weight, gaining weight, trying to fit certain aesthetics at certain times. 
Nutrition is huge and nutrition is very boring. Aesthetic people have even less leeway than sports specific people. Sports specific people can be relatively more flexible because they're going to burn off all this energy and typically we're providing for energy for performance. Aesthetic people, we really care how every single pound gets stored. We really care how every single gram of carbohydrate gets used. It is boring. It is so much water and so much food. Now, what do you gain from this? This kind of training, sometimes people feel like they have a superpower. Once they learn how to do it and learn how to manipulate this stuff, people who are compete in bodybuilding, for example, let's dial in on them will deliberately and knowingly gain 40 pounds over, let's say, five months, train at that 40-pound gain, and when it's time to compete, they will lose 45 pounds. And that's the kind of stuff. That's not a giant thing. It's a relatively big number, but not impossible. Certainly a relatively normal thing that people do. What I just described is often someone's one-time amazing miracle story. And that I'm not taking that away from them. If you have ever lost 45 pounds, that's an enormous amount of work. And you are to be congratulated. People who do this professionally or semi-professionally, being it's part of their profession, get good at this. And they can do it through this, partly through just sheer force of will, partly because they're being paid for it, not necessarily well, but they are being paid for it. It's a huge drain in your body to do that. It's very difficult. It beats your body up to gain that kind of weight and lose that kind of weight is enormous amount of stress. If you've ever lost double digits in weight, you know what kind of stress it is. You know how hard it is to do that. You know what kind of sacrifice and energy loss and challenge it is. And people are doing this deliberately. They're planning ahead, knowing six months from now, I'm going to have to go through this massive cutting phase and lose all this weight again and be irritable. My sleep's going to go to hell. My sex drive is going to plummet. And they plan for that. They know that's coming. That's only part of the sacrifices this, this kind of training comes with. Certainly massive social sacrifices, massive nutritional sacrifices, massive lifestyle sacrifices. This becomes your job and your only job. Some of these people have to be on all the time. There are people who will get a call first thing in the morning saying, hey, you have a shoot. Can you be here by 8 a.m.? Like this isn't a photo shoot you were able to plan three months out for. You're just expected to be on. People who are in that kind of lifestyle, especially model actor type, less so the bodybuilding type because those are shows you can plan for and plan your season out. The model actor types have a really hard time because they're sort of expected to stay at quote unquote competition level all the time. Now, realistically, and certainly once people get a little more settled a little more recognized and i know a lot of people don't a lot of if you if you know any working actors working models out there many many people never feel quite settled or like they're in a place where they can do this but you can start moving into sort of in season out of season in season out of season i have talked to fashion models who certainly you know fashion week the fashion weeks that that stretch from new york and paris and uh milan and all this stuff are there on season and off season certainly they're often doing shoots and stuff like that but they will take weeks or months off or they will do shoots where they are not going to be for example in a bikini they're not expected to you know, have abs all the time because it's really hard and it beats the hell out of you 
training just for aesthetics is incredibly difficult, comes with a huge amount of sacrifice. If you see a picture of a bodybuilder, if you see a picture of someone on stage, if you see a picture of someone who has trained to look that good, know that at that moment, they likely have very little energy, they likely are feeling very dehydrated, they likely feel about the worst they've ever felt. It is a very, very uncomfortable place to be to look like that. There's a reason it's so unusual. And I'm not I'm not saying it's a bad thing to do even. Just like sport, it's a choice. You you prioritize certain things. This is the thing you want to do. It comes with this list of sacrifices and this list of how-tos. We know how to do it. We've certainly trained people to do things like this, but it's really hard. And we're about to talk about training for wellness. It's not what most people are doing. So if you think you're training for sport, but that long list of sports stuff I said doesn't apply to you, if you think you're training for aesthetics, but that long list of aesthetics points I just said seems like it doesn't apply to you, good news, you're with everyone else. You're probably training for health, longevity, and wellness. Most of us are here or should be here. Now, just because you're training for wellness, this can absolutely be super sporty. You can even have a sport as part of your training. There's a, a big gray area in the, in the CrossFit functional fitness land because CrossFit is a modality, it's a way to train as well as being a sport, and that's their own fault. They made this confusing. They should have called the, you know, the competition something other than the CrossFit games and CrossFit and things like that, but it's their bed. They can lie in it, but it can absolutely be sporty and look like sport. It can be competitive. It can be for time. It can be motivated by aesthetics. Like your number one reason for going to the gym and training and doing things can absolutely be to change the way you look. That's okay. However, this training should also be designed to be sustainable. It should be designed so it works for your life. It should be adaptable. It should move and flex and flow around who you are and what you're doing. It doesn't mean it won't require sacrifice. It doesn't mean that if you want these certain changes, whether they be performance or aesthetic, that you're not going to make certain changes and certain sacrifices and do things that are really hard, but it's not necessarily pegged to the competition. You're not necessarily changing up the way you eat because you know that someone on the other team is changing up the way they eat and they're getting more energy and now they're performing better. So you're going to do that because you need to keep up with them because they're usually your competition and one of you is going to be the only people to go to the Olympics. That's not why you're doing it. We're changing it up to make you the best you you can be. It will absolutely re include recovery. Recovery is going to be really important. If you train hard, you're going to have to recover. If you train it all, you're going to have to recover. If you don't spend any time recovering, if you don't notice your sleep and your nutrition and your mobility and things like that, it will catch up to you. We'll have that conversation at some point. I don't even have to bring it up with people because it rears its head. I mean, I talk to people about how important it is, but I won't be people around it. Say, Are you recovering? Are you recovering? Are you recovering? Because we'll find out real soon they'll start having bad weeks. Performance will fall off. Aesthetics will fall off. Something will happen. And I'll say, oh, remember that recovery piece we talked about? Yeah, and then we have that conversation. It always comes around. Training for wellness, health, longevity should also work with your life. It should fit your schedule. You should be able to do it. It should involve a lot less sacrifice than those other kinds of training. You should be able to have a job. 
You should be able to have a family life. You should be able to have a, fa a social life and still do these things. Will there be some changes? Will you maybe get up a little earlier or go to sleep a little earlier or not have as many drinks at the bar, things like that? Yeah, for sure. But these are relatively small sacrifices. I'm not saying they aren't significant for you, but compared to the other things we're talking about, those massive sacrifices for sport, those massive sacrifices for aesthetics, they're just different. They're just different. Training for health, wellness, longevity allows for this pull, push, back and forth. And again, this is where most people are. This is where most people should be. I would also say the health, wellness, longevity training is where your off season should be. If you are sports specific, if you are aesthetic specific, again, look around for an off season. In that off season, come over to the wellness side. Come over to sustainable, repeatable, something you can do and you still feel pretty good the next day. You have pretty good energy, you can sleep well, your nutrition is good, your sex drive is good, everything is firing on all cylinders and you're feeling like a better person most of the time. You are feeling, what is it? Strong. You got it. That's what I have on training for sport aesthetics, health, and wellness. If you could, tiny request here. If you can go to wherever you're listening to this on, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, the Google Play, whatever it is, write a review. You have no idea how helpful that is. One review bumps this thing up the rankings and shows up. We actually start showing up in the searchers when people search for fitness or health or wellness or some guy talking too long on a microphone. Uh, it, when you review it, if you could drop a five-star rating, if you have five stars lying around, I'd really appreciate you depositing them there. And referrals rule. Share this, tell people about it, write a letter, however you need to share this thing and tell people about what a great podcast this is, if you think it is. If you think it's a terrible podcast, please don't tell people about it and don't write that in the review either. That's a deal, right? I figure that's a deal. Thank you so much for tuning in. I'm Justin McClintock. Feel strong. Thank you everyone so much for listening. Please visit us at feelstrong.me. Find us on Instagram at feelstrongfit. You can DM us to get started, pick our brain, rate and review us on iTunes. Please, five stars there makes a really big difference. And folks, remember, we don't work with everyone, but we'll talk to anyone. If you're ready to get started today, so are we. Thank you again and feel strong.